As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hi there, thanks for choosing to listen to us today. This is the Zonal Marking Podcast, which is brought to you by The Athletic. It's also brought to you by me, Ali Maxwell, and my two co-hosts, Michael Cox and Tom Warville. Tom, it's a very, very busy time at the moment in the UK. Uh, we've had roadmaps this week, heat maps, as always, for you as well. It's a busy time. Busy as always, Ali, um, but working on a lot of good stuff. Uh, got a piece coming up next week with Chris Woff about Martin Jabravka and Carl Darlow, uh, and also doing a bit of a, a big study on crossing as well, the types of crosses and style of crosses. So a couple of things to to look forward to like the sound of that Michael Cox we're talking Premier League today last week it was Champions League but over the weekend you enjoyed a bit of Serie A action as well yeah the Milan derby I think probably the biggest game in European football so far this season and I thought a brilliant performance by Inter so yeah analysis of that and in particular Nico Barella's performance I thought was brilliant so that's up on the site now I've just added to my notes for future podcasts, list of biggest games in European football. That's one we can tackle another time. Since the start of last week with your preview piece on site and the podcast that we did as well, we've been up to our eyeballs in, in Gazprom in, uh, in Champions League action. Michael, you wrote a great piece about Porto and how they have shades of Atletico under Simeone. Tom, you followed that up with a piece about the evolution of Simeone's Atletico 2.0, if you will, and more good stuff coming this week, no doubt, as well. Um, To those Athletic subscribers who listen through the app uh, and for whom this next plug is quite annoying, we see you, we love you, we just want more people to follow your lead, uh, and we do have a 50% sign-up offer at the moment, which runs until Thursday. So forgive me when I point those who aren't subscribers in the direction of theathletic.com forward slash zonal marking sign up for all of Michael and Tom's writing and so much more as well now Coxie in in quite unathletic fashion I'm going all clickbait today and framing today's topic as the two teams making a mockery of the so-called big six Uh, talk me through or talk the listener through what we're chatting about today yeah we're talking about West Ham and we're talking about Leicester who are currently fourth and third respectively in the league West Ham of course with that pretty crucial win over Tottenham the weekend has lifted them into the Champions League places. We are discussing whether they will be able to stay there. That's absolutely right. I'm looking forward to it. We've always said that we want contributions from the listener and we've had some good ones, it's fair to say. Most compelling for me this week was Chris, the West Ham fan, who messaged me 20 minutes after the final whistle blew, West Ham 2, Tottenham 1. Chris celebrating a a Derby Day win, the only way he knows how, by messaging the presenter of his favourite podcast asking, when's the Moyes ball zonal marking pod, mate? Well, Chris, today's the day. Uh, Let's get stuck in. We'll start with West Ham. 16th, they finished last season, Michael. Now fourth with two thirds of the season gone. It is a hell of a turnaround from David Moyes and this squad. Um, Firstly, was there any indication 
from last season that a season like this was on the cards? Maybe how they finished or how you thought about them going into this campaign? No, I'm sorry to say that in my pre-season predictions I had them 18th, so it very much was not on the cards according to what I reckoned. The funny thing is, if you'd said to me 12, 18 months ago, West Ham are going to make a, a stab at going for the Champions League places, I would have said, well, Haller's a good striker, Yarmolenko's uh, a great winger, Anderson <laughs> on his day is brilliant, Lanzini's a wonderful creator. They haven't got any of those players in the current side, um, and they're in fourth place. So it's been quite an incredible uh, 18 months for, for Moyes and for West Ham, I think. Tom will have something to say about their recruitment. Tactically, I don't think they're the most interesting side, but they are very efficient. They are very organised without the ball. And the one thing I'd say is we've talked a lot about the lack of fans. I know there's been a lot of uh, chat about Liverpool and maybe lack of fans being an issue for their decline because I think Liverpool traditionally quite an emotional club. They, they depend upon a, a good home atmosphere. With all due respect, West Ham have not had that. I mean, since they since they moved to London Stadium, the fans have not liked that. There's been more, uh, you know, more notable incidents with fans voicing their displeasure against the side of them rather getting behind them. So maybe you can say there's something in that, that they haven't suffered as much as others with a lack of fans. Maybe it's time to even help them. But no, it's been a huge surprise to me. I must say uh, I've been astonished at their good form. Um, and they seem to have not just kept it up, but got even better in recent Yeah, that's absolutely... Right. Tom, at the sort of very top level uh, of analysis, looking, digging deeper into the underlying numbers, I mean, what have been the, the big improvements made on last season? It's mainly the, the defensive end of things, and especially if you look at how their form has changed uh, when looking at expected goals after lockdown. Um, there's a big drop-off for, for West Ham and in terms of the quality of chances they're conceding. Personal obviously didn't change much between March when the season restarted in June, but the numbers definitely definitely did. And I think that's pretty impressive. I think it shows that it's Moy's ability as a coach to sit down and think through what is going on at the back. How do they you know go about fixing it? And I think I mean I think Rashane Thomas, our West Ham writer, has done something in the past around just polling or looking at the data around uh, West Ham fans and their annoyances at the board and the owners and I think one of the biggest things was that they barely spent on centre-backs versus more flashy attacking players and that's it's not that that's changed at all I mean the only recent defensive signing they've had is Craig Dawson who actually has been very very solid this season um, but anyway back to the numbers they've been sixth best uh, attacking wise according to XG seventh best defensively um, and the big change has really been that there's been a swing of about four shots per game. So West Ham are taking two shots more and conceding two shots fewer from Moyes uh, this season versus last season. So they have they've got better without really having changed the the players around there. And I think again we'll get onto it, but the the recruitment and sticking to a coherent and solid system is is uh, a lot to. Uh, lot to thank for. Yeah, it's David Moyes who gets credit for the coherent and solid system, Michael. Some teams that start the season hot regress in the second half of the campaign, potentially down to uh, any sort of tactical funkiness being found out uh, the second uh, time around when it comes to, to fixtures. I mean, West Ham have won seven of nine since the turn of the year. That They've got stronger, as you referenced. Is it their tactical setup that can help us understand that improvement in form? I think that's an interesting question and I would answer it by almost saying the reverse. I think the tactical setup of some other sides who have punched above their weight in the first half of the season was often based around pressing and that has been very difficult this season. I mean Tom wrote a really interesting article I probably referenced previously on this podcast where he showed that 19 of the 20 Premier League sides were pressing less than last season. The, ex- the exception was Aston Villa. Aston Villa have endured a poor run of form. Anecdotally, I would say the side that depends most on pressing the Premier League would be Southampton, who have declined in form. Liverpool are another side who are always associated with pressing. They've lost their last four home games, which is incredible. West Ham do not press, really. They, I mean, if you look at the stats, they make fewer tackles in the, uh, the final third and the, the final third and the middle third combined than any other side. They tend to sit deep and they tend to to stay very compact on, on the edge of their own box. And I don't think they have suffered any physical decline from the first half of the season in their exertions there, which maybe you would say of, I mean, let's not forget Southampton were top of the league for a bit. Uh, Aston Villa at one point, it looked like they could challenge for the top four, top six. So while other sides have declined, West Ham have got better. And I think it might be to do with a lack of time. 
Yeah, picking up from what Coxie said there around West Ham and, and pressing, I mean, they're 18th this season for PPDA. Very much, I guess, we go back to our, our previous podcast around players running and running style, and it seems that for West Ham, it's it's more around kind of holding shape for a bit, and then a few players will go off on bursting runs forward, and they will only do that a set number of times in a game. And that, to me, I'm no sports scientist, but that feels like it's something that's more sustainable and less impactful than if you're doing loads of quicker short-distance accelerations and decelerations a la Liverpool, Southampton, Villa when you're trying to press a, a contained space. I mean, we'll get to Rice and Suchek in a bit, but that ability to hold the line and, and be compact is really good for West Ham. I think when I was looking at data from Sport Logic, um, they've got some really interesting stats around how often a player um, or a pair of players kind of stops a line between them from being broken. So how well are they holding position and stopping players receiving between a line uh, where they're stood. And Suchek and Rice uh, are up there with some of the highest numbers of kind of lines that they hold in the Premier League, essentially meaning that they don't get broken. People really find it tough to get the ball past them. And again, that physically, you don't expend a lot of energy. You're not opening yourself up to injury if you are walking, jogging, versus having to you know move up and down the gears really, really quickly. Let's talk about those two now then, uh, Coxie. It, it feels like, although it's a, it's a team game and they've had good contributions from a number of squad players that potentially it's that midfield duo of, of Declan Rice and Suchek who are, are maybe the most high-performing partnership, I guess, um, in this West Ham side. In fact, they've played every minute of the season as well, apart from that sort of 30 seconds after Suchek picked up that bizarre red card against Fulham, uh, which was later overturned. Just talk me through their individual contributions, what they bring to the partnership uh, and their roles in this midfield too. Yeah, I've got an article out today about uh, about that partnership. I think it works really well. I think they are very sturdy. I think they're suited to playing in a deep block. Um, one match I watched recently, which I, I would guess not many neutrals watched, was their 1-0 home victory over Burnley, which is not the most glamorous fixture of the season. But I thought that was a perfect example of where, that what did Burnley do? Burnley play long ball football. They want to hit Wood and they want to hit Barnes. And West Ham had two players in Suchek and Rice who are very, very comfortable in the air. In fact, very good in the air, not just comfortable in the air. And they formed a really solid block with uh, the two centre-backs with Dawson and, and Ogbonna. And I, I think that kind of summed up how how resilient uh, how resilient they are. I mean, to go into... I might be stepping on Tom's toes here with some stats, but I, I think Rice has made more interceptions than anyone else in the league and Suchek has won more errors than anyone else in the league. So... They are, you know, they are very good at what they do. I think I think Rice in particular has been... I wasn't completely sold on him until this season, I must be honest. I thought he was a decent player. I couldn't really understand why there was so much fuss about him. But I think he's had a really good season. I think he's just a great all-rounder, good defensively, but can drive forward and contribute in the attacking phase of the, of the play as well. So, yeah, I think those two have been arguably the best central midfield duo in the league this mm. year. I'm always up for some Declan Rice propaganda. Tom, you got anything extra for me there? Yeah, I'll, I'll go to Rice in a second, but Suchek is one who, I mean, he's a bit of a court hero, I feel, in the Premier League this season. Um, someone who the FPL lot are huge fans of because there's a you know there's a good price-value relationship there with Suchek. Um, in some of the articles I uh, write, we use something called a pizza chart, which essentially is a chart with 12 different stats on that shows you how good or or bad a player is at certain aspects of their game. And if you look at Suchek's one, um, which I'll, I'll retweet after this because it is quite fun, it literally one half of it, all of the bars are right at the end of the chart and the other side is nearly completely empty. So I kind of nicknamed him the, the Calzone because he excels in, in one side of his game so well. He gets the ball upfield, he gets shots off, he gets touched in the box, he loves an aerial and generally he's really solid at holding his own passing lanes and, and doing well, being an active defender and on the other side of it he's he's not actively going and looking for the ball he doesn't carry it at all um, he doesn't really link play very well it's, his game is quite simple um, when it comes to actually being in possession um, so he's just a, a fantastic player and a, a really really solid signing for West Ham and then Declan Rice the thing for me is he's only 22 years old still. He's played the second most minutes in the Premier League in the last three seasons behind only Conor Cody, which I think is an insane stat, really, given his age, given the responsibility he has for a team that West Ham, that they could have a bad swing and end up in the relegation zone. They could have a really good swing like they are at the moment, and they are 
in the top four and he's had that responsibility since the age of 19 and he's been pretty solid ever since then we've spoken a bit about rice i think before when i did a piece with liam toomey and that is essentially rice could really take his career any way he wants to now he doesn't really excel at any one thing i think he's a solid tackler dribbler decent in the air solid passer like what is his ceiling at west ham can he specialize and go further or does he need a move to a team where he has to do even more where we see kind of the next level of his game but i really think this is a a fun interesting duo at the base of midfield for for west ham uh, mainly because they they complement each other really really well yeah absolutely uh, let's move a, a bit higher up the pitch because as you say their attacking numbers are decent as well uh, and michael compared to their own standards. I mean, they haven't scored goals at a rate like this since the season they finished 7th and qualified for the Europa League, which is also known as the Dimi Payet season. Uh, how do they attack? How do they go about scoring goals? How have they improved their output to such an extent? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure I can fully answer how they've improved their output, I must say. But certainly in terms of the, the way they attack, I mean, they've got lots of runners on, on the break. I think that's been the most obvious thing in, in the last few weeks. Jesse Lingard has come in. And look, I've always quite liked Lingard. I think he's got too much criticism, but I don't think anyone really forecast him. He would score three goals in four. And I think his finish against Tottenham at the weekend demonstrated his sudden newfound confidence because he's not generally been a particularly clinical finisher. But I think Bowen's very key as well in terms of just being a, a very lively runner. I think he goes in behind quite a lot for a player who isn't really, you know, actually on the last line of the attack, if that makes sense. He starts deeper, but ends up in behind. I think they've shared the goals around very well also. I mean, set pieces has been crucial in this. I mean, Dawson's got two, Ogbon has got two. Um, even the players that aren't always playing. I mean, Bal- Balbuena scored, Diop has scored, Ben Johnson has scored. They've actually had 14 players, Ryan Fredericks has scored. They've had 14 players on the score sheet, which seems quite a lot for a side who are not a particularly attack-minded team. I guess, obviously, we we have to say as well, a, a very important source of their goals has been crosses and headers. Uh, with Suchek, obviously, we've... We've spoken about and everyone knows his aerial prowess. But Mikhail Antonio is, I'd say, quite a unique player who is very, very good on the counter-attack and also very good in the air. And he obviously suits West Ham's style of play very well. Maybe not the best in terms of linking play, but that's not a, a particular demand at West Ham. And I can't think of too many other players in the league who are as good on the counter-attack and as good in the air as Antonio. I'd say Calvert-Lewin probably would stand out. But um, yeah, it, it's not a it's not a particularly revolutionary way of attacking. It's, it's counter attacks and crosses and set pieces, but it's certainly working well. Yeah, one name who we haven't really mentioned yet is is Aaron Cresswell, who feels like someone who is, is a kind of player who maybe in years gone by falls out of the top level um, of the game because he's not super fast. He's a solid defender, but he has excellent delivery, and I think that. Moyes has now built him a role which is perfect where he's not um he's not isolated too much one on one he his passing in possession is is used he's great at passing down the line and again his set pieces are fantastic um and that's i mean that's led to eight goals for West Ham as well this season which which Michael's mentioning and that's the most in the league from corners and free kicks so definitely again an example of kind of coaching or thinking of a way that the team can set up where you're using the strengths of your players without showcasing their weaknesses or I or I guess yeah opening them up to being attacked for the opposition too much um but on to Antonio I mean yeah he's he is a bit of an outlier he's second for xg per 90 in the league um he's first for take-ons for strikers per 90 as well averaging about five but he's also rock bottom in terms of turnover percentage so that's the number of touches they have and how often they give the ball away so if I have 10 touches and five of them I turn possession over I've got a turnover rate of about 50% and Antonio's is 44% which is the worst of all strikers in the league this season so he's not a he's not you know incredible in possession but then again his role is like get your head down run upfield and, and play a bit like an American football team at times run us up the field and that's the the best way of defending for West Ham is getting the ball away from their goal quickly as possibly but it does help that he he does have an eye for goal as well he's not the best finisher I think he's under his XG this season has been over his career but he keeps getting those chances and that's what you need from from a striker must admit everything you're saying I think reflects really really well on the manager David Moyes who you know this isn't necessarily a squad of players that on paper should be where they are Uh, and and from what you've discussed about 
how he's getting the best out of the skill sets at his disposal, I think is, it, again, just reflects really well on, on his managerial ability. We're going to mention Moyes in just a second, but Tom, real talk now. Uh, we've only got a third of the season left uh, and there they are in the top four. Do the underlying numbers reflect a, a top four or maybe a top six performance level? Or uh, are we talking about, you know, maybe a bit of overperformance? What do you think will happen next is, I guess, what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, West Ham's numbers are still solid. They're six best in terms of expected goal difference this season behind, I mean, I find this list hilarious, behind Man City, which passed the eye test, Liverpool passed the eye test, Brighton a third on this list. And expected goal difference-wise, they're kind of plus 0.5 every game so they're creating about half a goal worth of chances more than opposition and their actual goal difference games I think minus 0.2 so there's like a I don't know over the course of 10 games that's a 7 goal swing in goals for and versus goals against it's just so so unlucky Chelsea are slightly above West Ham and 4th and Man United as well in 5th so I think out of that group you probably think that yep City are nailed on top 4 probably nailed on first Liverpool will get back in the groove of things shortly. Um, Brighton obviously aren't in that group. Chelsea and then United. You'd think that Chelsea under Tuchel will, will pick things back up. I think we'll learn the most about West Ham and their credentials in the next six games. I mean, they're playing Man City, Leeds, Man United, Arsenal, Wolves, and then Leicester. So each of those is very much a uh, uh, a tough a tough tie, you'd say, against all sides that probably deserve to be in the top half of the table, and that will probably decide where West Ham finish up this season. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Michael, we had a couple of really good questions sent in on Twitter from our listeners. One of them, Andrew, wanted to know how many similarities can be drawn between Moyes' West Ham now and his relatively successful Everton side? I love the use of the word relatively there. <laughs> I think that. that yeah, I, I think there are similarities. I mean, the obvious one would be um, the aerial targets from midfield. I think uh, Mourinho, after the first fixture between the sides... Uh, between Tottenham and West Ham this season called Suchek the new Fellaini, which I quite like because it's not not something that usually comes from a manager, is it? It's usually something that comes from journalists. Um, but yeah, I mean, Moyes, a big part of Moyes' focus at Everton was creating two versus one and three versus two situations down the flanks and working a crossing situation. And at the time, that was a little bit unusual because I think there was more focus on, on the central midfield and creating from that zone at that period of kind of possession play and you know getting overloads in central midfield but now I think it's actually more common even for the top sides to work on progressing the ball down the, down the, the flanks rather than through the centre so I think there is a, simil- a similarity there so yeah there's there's some there's some common themes I don't think Moyes has progressed too much in terms of his his tactical style but um, yeah he's, he's obviously found the right players and the right balance at West Ham with he used to get a ton of credit rightly so Tom for, for the recruitment that he did at Everton in the 2000s and he's now in charge of a West Ham side that have been in previous years something of a laughing stock for their slightly scattergun approach to recruitment uh, they've left behind imbalanced teams a lot of failed signings high player turnover I mean recent business looks excellent Suchek Sufal Craig Dawson Ben Rama and Lingard as well um, contributing that's something that he gets a lot of credit for previously and and seems to be doing another excellent job but he, and he's he's got quite an interesting way of going about things right yeah it really flies in the face of what we think of modern recruitment really the fact that i'm pretty sure at west ham they have one scout or one head of recruitment analysis with a y scout login there's not a ton of data used in that process and yet they're turfed out a bunch of names that you've just read out which have all hit the ground running and performed really well and i just wonder whether you know, is that just because now we have the this this new model of management where you have the head coach and then you have kind of the other parts of his of the role of what would have been the manager's role to recruit that's that's split out. And when it gets political and there's disconnect between those departments, there's the chance that moves and transfers look to backfire. And with West Ham, when you have Moyes still very much in control or or maybe not in control, but like very much involved in those processes. You know, he's more likely to find players that he wants and those that will serve him well into his system. And that definitely seems like the case at the moment. Suchek for around £15 million is 
great value. Having a starting kind of Premier League level fullback in Sufal for £5 million is unbelievable value, really, when you look at it. Craig Dawson was someone who I think he was really bad for Watford last season. I think Watford um, fans I would agree remember, with you. I remember his uh, his final game of the season at the Emirates quite well because I think it was just so error prone. Uh, I think at least a couple of Arsenal's goals were, were down to him losing his man or, or losing a duel. And yet, Moyes has seen something with him and again, kind of not isolated his, his deficiencies as a player too much and he's just become such a threat for them from set pieces. <laughs> Sorry. Producer David there saying that uh, Craig Dawson was a, a bad player last season. Ben Rama as well, someone who I wasn't too high up on this as a good stylistic fit for West Ham. I mean, Brentford Alley, you know, better than than probably myself and Michael the way that they played last season how different that is to West Ham this season and yet he's been he's probably not hit the heights but I think he's been serviceable he's been decent and then Jesse Lingard is just it's such a a cheap loan Moyes knows the player um, but he again fits the system Um, we were talking about running stats on that previous pod that I mentioned and saying that Lingard was the most high intense runner in the Premier League in I think it would have been 1920 now um, he just met the minutes cut off and he's doing a lot of intense running. And that's what Moyes needs. He needs players to run upfield with the ball in you know, flows of, of players and um, Lingard's really hit the ground running. So I'm a big um, Lingard truther and I'm glad that that move is, uh, has worked out for him so far. Last word on, on Moyes and West Ham. Michael, question from Porphyris asking, is there a ceiling to Moyes' style like at Everton where he couldn't quite break through? Yeah, interesting question. I mean, I think there's a few things in there. One, I, I don't think that the fact Everton couldn't break through uh, when Moyes was there was really to do with style. I think it was just a lack of resources compared to the other top clubs. I mean, Everton just never, it seemed like they never spent money on players for such a long period of time. And I think at that point, his style, it wasn't it wasn't the era of pressing that has come to dominate the last few years. I don't think his style necessarily was an issue at Everton. Maybe you could say they were a little bit negative in big games. I mean, his record against, you know, winning against the, the top sides wasn't very good at all. Now, I mean, I would say their lack of pressing is, is kind of out of step with the top clubs around. But this is, as we've said before, this is a weird season with the physical demands. And maybe this is, to certainly certain the new normal. I think there will be physical problems for teams next year when their players have had this season and, and are really demanding Euros. Then in a well in, in was it next year winter next year there's going to be a World Cup in the middle of the campaign, which will again be a, you know I think probably cause physical demands to, for for players particularly the top players of course. So look maybe things have changed a bit maybe it's, it's more viable to play a little bit deeper a little bit more reactively to sit on on the edge of your own box. So yeah, two or three years ago I think we'd all said Moyes' approach was was kind of on the way out, but at the moment not just because of him, uh, but certainly. That is a part when you look at them fourth in the league. Maybe it's more viable than it was when you know City were getting 100 points or whatever. I definitely agree with Coxie that the, well, the tactical element of West Ham is definitely or seemingly sustainable given the schedule strength and things like that. But I'm really intrigued to see what actually West Ham look to do in, in the summer and in the, the next windows. Especially if they get into Europe, they're going to need a bigger squad. Moyes has obviously recruited well on his own recently, but when you have to scale that up and you've got to sign a few players in more key positions will he have a, a hit rate on his transfers as good as he has so far I think that the smart money is no um, but yeah it remains to be seen how West Ham really build from this because I think this for the club is very much the probably the break that they wanted a few years ago when they moved to the London Stadium and that was a kind of jump for them to establish themselves as as a you know a proper force in the Premier League and didn't really press on from there but now the opportunity has come around again and it's um, it's a big one to I'm still reeling from two things. One, Tom, you telling me that West Ham have essentially one scout and a Y scout login. Uh, and, and secondly, Michael basically using the phrase the new normal there as if he's the first person to ever say it, as if he's really breaking new ground there. Um, enjoyable. Hang on, I, I hadn't I hadn't heard people say it in relation to the physical demands of football. Okay, okay. Thank you. Um, look, we're going to move on to Leicester City now because, I mean, to, to a large extent, they're probably the blueprint for West Ham to follow from this point to, to aspire to, I guess. Um, Michael, before... This campaign, Leicester under Brendan Rodgers had picked up around 1.65 points per game. He'd, he'd taken charge of uh, around 50 matches, so a season and a bit in the Premier League. This season, they're a hair under two points per game. 
I think it's time that we take the lead and, and keep heaping more respect on the name Brendan Rodgers. Don't you agree? Yeah, I think it's the fourth good job he's done in a row. Swansea got them up, established them in the Premier League. Liverpool, people remember them not winning the league in quite dramatic circumstances. But the fact that they were challenging was was much, uh, you know, it was a much better season than anyone expected. Celtic, he won pretty much everything he could win domestically. And Leicester, yeah, he's, he's ter- I mean, they were in a bit of a state when he took over and he's transformed them into a side who probably should have finished in the top four last year. Obviously had a bit of a dip. I think they're a bit unlucky on the final day of the season against Manchester United. Um, and this time around are in a similar position. So yeah, I think he's a really good manager. And yeah, we've, we've come to take it for granted, but two seasons in a row, Leicester are punching well mm. above their weight. Right? Of course, they fell out of the Champions League places, Tom towards the end of last season, really struggled after the return of, of the Premier League after lockdown. Um, again, like I asked you for West Ham, some top-line numbers on Leicester's improvement this season or, or just how they're performing in terms of the underlying data. Yeah, it's funny because obviously we've seen an improvement in results, but in performances, I think there's not been much of an improvement. If anything, there's been a bit of a regression. If you look at, I mean, last season, they had a, an expected goal difference per game of around 0.5. So they were a net positive good team they were creating more chances they were they were conceding this season that's exactly zero so they're they are a team who are creating chances as good as the quality of those that they're conceding I think there's a bit more nuance to this though where at the start of the campaign they were getting lucky and they didn't have a very fully fit squad I think they, were, they didn't have Sonchu at the back I think they didn't have Ricardo Pereira of course um, and I do think there's an issue of playing James Justin on the left when he is predominantly right-footed and I don't think they were quite as good at progressing the ball forward on that side and then now they've got a full fully fit squad um, and they obviously they look really good James Madison looks fantastic Harvey Barnes is trying to play his way into the the England team ahead of the summer um, and kind of Jamie Vardy's still trucking on at I think the age of 34 now so I'm intrigued to see where they go from here because depending on how much stock you put into the numbers um, that suggests to us that they will regress and things maybe aren't as rosy longer term but um at the moment, with the the squad and the way they're mm. they're playing, uh, top four could be yeah. Could be they're certainly passing the eye test, Michael. I mean, tactically, how do you define this Leicester side? Is there an easy way to to pigeonhole or categorise them? No, not really. I think they've got a good balance because you know Rogers. We think of him as a, a proactive manager. He likes possession play. He likes taking the game to the opposition. But they've got Jamie Vardy, who's who's arguably the best counter attacking striker in the league. Or maybe the striker who's most dependent on counter-attacking would be another way of putting it. Um, so yeah, I think they can play in different ways. I think they're capable of outpassing most of the teams in the Premier League. And then when they come up against another of the big boys, they are content to sit deep and play long diagonal balls. So yeah, I think Rodgers is a, is a very flexible manager. He's he's capable of, of changing system midway through games. I mean, the... the uh, the recent win against Liverpool, really, that came about because he, he just took a gamble with 15 minutes to go, changed to a diamond, had Barnes and Vardy up front, and suddenly they created four good chances in, in 15 minutes, having not really created many at all before that. So, no, I think they're, they're unpredictable. And I think Rodgers, yeah, like I say, has the balance right between counter-attack and possession play and has the balance right between being proactive and having a cons- consistent style and also being able to change things if he comes up against a particular opponent. Yeah, it certainly feels to me like, you know, in full counter-attacking flight, this Leicester side uh, really do catch the eye, but that they've improved their ability to break teams down as well when when they are handed the responsibility to do so, when they have, you know, bigger chunks of possession, for example. Tom, are there any parts of the game that the numbers suggest they particularly excel at, or do they also reflect that this is a bit of an all-round team, quite a complete team, I suppose you'd say? Yeah, I think they're they're just quite solid going forward and quite solid at the back. I don't think the attack is powering as much as it was last season. They're about six in the league for XG per game. You could try and make the case that they're pretty good at winning penalties. Uh, I definitely think they've won the most so far this season, but all the kind of numbers seem to point that there's no trend between that and it's kind of luck-based and not overly a, a skill that you can win penalties. Um, but I just really like the way that they have their midfield set up. Um, I think they are, I mean, Yuri Tielemans is one of the best passing midfielders in the Premier League. Wilfred Nadini is kind of a, a one-man double pivot in and of himself, just the way that he can cover so much ground. And they've even managed to take a couple of players off the bomb squad as well. Um, I mean, Nampalis Mendy is someone who I think at a time was a record transfer for Leicester or definitely up there. Um, and he has been reintegrated back to the first team. 
um, Daniel Amate as well has seen minutes this season and been okay. Um, so yeah, I think that they they don't really show much in the numbers uh, being amazing at, at one area of their game. I think there's probably more weaknesses than that. I think they failed to score a single goal from a set piece this season, which comes down to how do you decide to, what to spend time in at training. And I think for Leicester, it's very much more shape than set pieces, but that is an area of the game that they definitely could uh, could improve. We, we had a question from Nathan saying, in a season in which Warville has shown pressing dropping off, have Leicester counteracted this through the intelligence and discipline of their pressing? I'm thinking particularly about wins at City and Arsenal, where they blocked off passing lanes and pounced on the counter. Michael... Tactical victories from a, a well-drilled, well-coached team. Is, is that something that you've noticed as well watching this Leicester City side this season? Yeah, I'd be interested to see or interested to hear what Tom says about the pressing. I mean, I think the Manchester City win is, is one where they sat quite deep and, and Vardy played a good role without the ball and then broke in a kind of old-school Jamie Vardy way. Um, so, yeah, Tom, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, Leicester are definitely one who've, who've dropped off pressing this year and I think there's more of a... Um, I think they're trying to be smarter with their pressing and try and get teams into specific zones or certain situations where they know that they can press them and rely upon having triggers that are trainable instead of let's just constantly harry and pressure all the time. And I think that that makes it easier for the players to understand when and where and how to press um, and just simplifies that game. And I think that you you see an uptick in pressing numbers for the midfielders this season um, or at least they're more successful in the, the times that they look to apply pressure and actually win the ball back. So, yeah, I think that's that's the reason why that they've potentially got a bit smarter out of possession. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Michael uh, Kayo on Twitter wanted us to talk about their fullbacks as well. And uh, I can see why because, you know, James Justin... Timothy Castagna, Ricardo Pereira, who actually played on the wing on the weekend against Aston Villa and performed brilliantly. And even young Luke Thomas as well. It, it feels like whoever plays for Leicester at fullback looks great. Uh, any thoughts on why that is? No, I'm not sure I do have any particular reasons. I think it's a really good point, especially when you consider that I think Justin Castan and Pereira have all played on both sides. I think I'm right in saying. So yeah, I mean, it, that is really notable. It's a really good point. Um, I can only say that Rogers seems to have very clear instructions for his players wherever he's been. Um, and I think players feel comfortable playing in his system. You said that Mikel Antonio was quite unique as a striker in the Premier League. To be fair, I had my grandmother ringing in, ringing in my ears who always said, you can't be quite unique. You're either unique or you're not unique. But to what extent is Jamie Vardy that? Is he unique in terms of number nines in the Premier League? Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's his own specific style isn't it he's he's the best around at collecting the balls in behind the defense particularly long diagonal balls I think the thing to say with Vardy is I think there's more to his game than finishing I did an article for the Athletic earlier in the season where I looked back at the last 18 months or so and found him I mean his movement is very very good that's something that Rodgers has been keen to highlight I think his play without the ball he's he's not tearing around after centre-backs in kind of blind alleys the same way he was in probably his first Premier League season. But I think he's very disciplined at sitting often on the opposition holding midfielder. He did that against Manchester City very well in that win. Can't remember who the central midfielder was. Maybe Rodri, maybe Gundogan, maybe Fernandinho, whoever it was. He did a really good marking job on him, then sprung him behind. So yeah, there is more to his game than finishing. I think his link play is good. I think he works very well with Barnes as well. I think that's an interesting combination because Barnes seems to me like a player who always wants to play one-twos. 
And I would traditionally say, well, he'll want to play alongside a centre-forward like Olivier Giroud, for example. Vardy's not that kind of player, but he can play that role. So he's he's one of those players, he's probably, he, well, he's, he's definitely got, he's peaked late, hasn't he? But I think probably he's 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 a more he's be, he's a better all rounder than in his first Premier League, uh, first two Premier League campaigns. Obviously, his second one was that incredible season when he won the league. But I think he's a better all round player now than he was then. Even if he's maybe slightly less clinical and devastating with his speed, there is more to his game. Going back to what Michael just said then around kind of Vardy's approach to pressing, there was a fantastic and it still remains one of my favourite pieces on the Athletic uh, interview with. Jamie Vardy with Stu James and Vardy was saying now he kind of thinks quite probabilistically actually around pressing and if he thinks there's like a low percentage chance of winning the ball back he he has less of an appetite to go after it whereas if he thinks there's a you know a 10% chance that then he'll actually expend the energy and I think that he's noticed with his game that um, you know, it's a trade-off between can I win the ball back and I'm going to burn energy trying to do this which I think is a fascinating look into the mind of of someone like Vardy and the way that he approaches the game but yeah I'm also impressed that he's managed to maintain his speed or at least not lose it too much um, we saw Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang get outrun and bounce off the ball by John Stones at the weekend and I don't think Stones is a slouch at all but we've seen the same happen with Aubameyang and Adam Webster also this season who definitely doesn't feel like a quick centre-back so for Vardy to still be a counter-attacking outlet at the age of 34 shows you the steps that have been made in sports science and in football. One change from last year is that Vardy's output in terms of goals if you strip out penalties especially has dropped a little bit but the slack has been more than picked up Tom by two young English players uh, James Madison and Harvey Barnes are scoring at a, a quicker rate than Vardy in terms of of goals if you take out penalties um, let's start with James Madison because never been any doubt that he was a, a, a wonderful technical player and very very creative someone who could unlock a defence um, but he hasn't always found it easy in this Leicester side uh, and to, to really become a key key player feels like that's certainly changed in the last few months a, a, a serious purple patch or maybe this is his level now and he's taken the leap yeah I still think there is a, an element of, of purple patchiness <laughs> about um, Madison's form I mean he's got since the turn of the year five goals from 1.8 xg which points to it's a very good finishing but also he's still taking quite a lot of pot shots from outside the edge of the edge of the area but I mean we, we got a huge insight into Madison how his game changed when he gave one of his now many great interviews on Sky Sports um, and talk about Jack the Analyst um, and I think if you pass Madison's words I think that was the, the game against Chelsea he was kind of trying to model his game a bit more on Lampard and how he was sniffing up goals throughout his career um, and it, that seemingly all comes down to gambling with runs and, and finding the ball in the box when you can uh, and his, his shots in the box kind of since that game have, have gone up um, and I think that was one where if you looked at the data he was behind the likes of even like Pablo Fornals who doesn't strike me as a, uh, a very potent shooter from especially from inside the penalty area and kind of other less attacking midfielders so um, definitely think Madison's playing playing a lot better but I do think at this moment it's uh, it's a bit luck driven as well and then Barnes is someone who um, is putting up amazing numbers he's put up great numbers for a while especially if someone as young as he is um, and he yeah he's going to be one of Leicester's key players in the next few years if not the team he moves on to next only six players in the Premier League have scored more non-penalty goals than Barnes this year it's been a Unbelievable, really. If if last season was a breakthrough season, then he's he's gone one better again uh, this time round. It's very very exciting, I would say, Michael, because in his position, specifically playing off the left as an attacking player, there are a number of players ahead of him in the England pecking order and or you know rivals for that spot, but maybe none quite like him as a player. Yeah, I think that's a good point. He's a funny kind of player, Barnes. He he's very effective. He doesn't look like a great player. Do you know what I mean? In terms of his movements or in terms of his... He doesn't really score spectacular goals, but I think he's very efficient. He, he works very well with his teammates. He makes the right kind of runs. So, yeah, you're right. There probably isn't another player like him in the England squad, but I can't think of any player like him really in the Premier League of any nationality. He does seem quite... Well, I can't say quite unique. <laughs> it's uh, quite specific. Very good. We're all making we're all we're all making progress here. No, I mean, look, he he had a few loans in the EFL as a very young player and was very popular wherever he went. And he hasn't really changed style. He was always a very high volume um, shot taker. And I think what stood out 
at that level, which is translated pretty well, was his ability to go both ways, to shoot with both feet, you know, predominantly right-footed, but he's got a very powerful left-foot shot as well, if maybe a little less precise than his right-footed shooting. Uh, and that that made him very tough to handle for EFL defenders, and, and pleasingly that has translated very well. So, yeah, he's a really, really interesting one. Let's talk about Brendan Rodgers a little bit. We've got a question on Brendan Rodgers from Owen off Twitter, who asked, how has Rogers changed since his Liverpool and even Swansea days? Did his time in Scotland with Celtic maybe affect his style of play? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, one of the main things I'd say about his time in Scotland, and this is a very obvious thing to say, but they won the league by a long way. The first season was by 30 points. So he had opportunities to have a bit of fun, to experiment with different systems and I think he's probably got better at being flexible and changing his systems between game to game, changing his systems within games, which I thought with Liverpool sometimes was... He did it sometimes, but it wasn't always that effective. Um, and so I think it's... I can't really say there's anything specific that has changed, but I think he's he's just become better in his decision-making and maybe better in, in his relationships with players as well. So yeah, that's the main thing I would say. I think tactically he's he's just become better at making decisions at the right times. And again, I think that win over Liverpool the weekend before last was a good example of that. A mid-game or 15 minutes from the end of the game changed the system, completely changed the game. So just little things like that, I think, probably have have been about more top-level experience. It feels like a big part of why Rodgers is also successful is Chris Davies, who's his assistant coach, who um, hear that he's very kind of technical tactics driven and and has a real insight or a real keenness to understand kind of the the data side of the game and and he does a lot of work for Rodgers and essentially makes Rodgers the the manager he is because of the work that Davies puts in so I think that I mean there was a great quote with with Davies fairly recently saying that if you control the transition in the modern game you have the, the keys to kind of win the game which I think was really interesting and that was a um, a piece looking around kind of pressing um, and its importance in in the modern game in 2020-2021 so Davies is one I'm really interested in to see if he goes it alone at some point if he has the appetite to to test himself as a manager um, or if he's he is kind of going to be with Rogers for the uh, for the foreseeable. Yeah it does feel right to note while praising Brendan Rogers that he joined a very high performing club with a very good structure in place for success uh, previously which has continued and, and Tom recruitment very much at the heart of that you know given that Leicester have to sell their best players much more regularly than the so-called big six uh, succession planning and recruitment has been a huge part of their well their growth but also just being able to maintain how good they are when losing their best players do you have them down as, as one of the best recruitment teams around yeah I think you have to say yes um, like every team they they have hits and misses but I think Valesa they have more hits than misses and especially in the last couple of seasons um, I don't think their recruitment after winning the title was was particularly shrewd I think of Vicente Bora I think of Ahmed Musa um, I think of Mendy who I said before who they've got minutes out of now but definitely um, in terms of I guess a, a ratio of the amount of money you spent compared to the minutes you get from a player probably isn't that high um, but of late I mean there was probably a bit of worry at the club that someone would come in for Soyuncu and now they've brought in Wesley Fofana who looks like a very very um, solid player and still only age 20 um, James Justin was a shrewd buy from, from the EFL um, and hopefully you know, he's out injured at the moment out for the rest of the season with an ACL injury but he was really kicking on you think that you know, England are stocked for fullbacks anyway but he's in the conversation around Euros and World Cup to some extent but yeah I, I think the biggest question for Leicester now and probably one that they're thinking around is how do we amicably uncouple from Jamie Vardy how do we replace Jamie Vardy in a way that doesn't completely disrupt this whole team um, even though he is integral to them to um, to scoring yeah that's really interesting that is something to keep an eye on over the next few windows Michael the big ones to finish the big questions uh, last season at this exact point Leicester had 49 points from 25 games it's what they've got now this season and they finished poorly with three wins three draws and six defeats from this point are they better equipped to avoid that sort of drop-off this time around? That's a good question. I mean, I, I thought they were a really good side this time last year. So it's probably a difficult question to answer. I think what has been clear is they've probably got a better squad this time around. They have coped with injuries. They've had injuries to Ndidi, to Pereira, um, at centre-back as well. Um, and I think they're more they're more capable of withstanding that than last season, even than the title-winning campaign. I mean... 
off the top of my head, I don't think they had any major injuries that year and they used a very consistent 11 and you felt that if they had any key players out, they were really going to struggle. But I don't feel like that this time around. Even with Vardy, I think they've got um, some decent goal-scoring options elsewhere in the side. So, yeah, I think they are in a better situation, although the competition is so fierce this time around. I mean, it's so unpredictable and you, you never know really who's going to pop up challenging them. But I would be relatively confident they'll finish in the top four this time. Uh, and just to spice it up a little further, they're currently level on points with Manchester United. Tom, looking at the underlying numbers, suggested that this might not be the case. But for you, Michael, in your sort of mental rankings of Premier League clubs, are, are they the second best team in the league at this stage? Do you think they'll finish second? Yeah, I mean, whenever I watch Manchester United, I'm amazed how bad they are. I think I must be watching completely the wrong games because every time I see them, they look like a side who's maybe, you know, up a mid-table side, with the exception of Fernandes, of course. So, yeah, I think Leicester are a much better side with and without the ball. Um, yeah, we'll wait and see how that happens. But I, I think they're a very good side. Well, I've certainly had a great time with you guys talking about West Ham and Leicester, two teams in the top four as we record. And look, if you want more of this sort of stuff, both West Ham and Leicester have brilliant writers covering them on The Athletic. There are also club-specific podcasts, You Irons uh, about West Ham, Sam Delaney and Roshane Thomas hosting that one, and the 5,000 to 1 podcast that covers Leicester with Rob Tanner and Matt Elliott highly recommended Uh, and on the subject of recommendations given the subjects of this podcast two teams from outside what is known as the big six very much within it at the moment I would recommend reading Oliver Kay's article uh, which came out Tuesday about the proposed European Super League which feels very apt Um, It was around the same time I saw that article that I saw a tweet from Colin Miller, uh, which points out that across Europe at the moment, you've got Sevilla above Barca in La Liga. You've got Leicester joint second in the Premier League, Leipzig, Wolfsburg and Frankfurt in the Bundesliga Champions League spots and Lille, Lyon and Monaco eyeing the League R title. None of those eight clubs considered for this European Super League. So do go and check out Ollie's article uh, if that's something that floats your boat. Uh, and thank you so much, guys, for, for your expertise and for your time this afternoon. Really looking forward to whatever we get our teeth into next week on the Zonal Marking Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed, guys. You know you can listen without any adverts uh, on the Athletic app if you're a subscriber. And if you'd like to be, you can get 50% off today at theathletic.com forward slash Zonal Marking. So thanks for tuning in. Have a good rest of your week and we'll talk again next time. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.